Hello, this is Revel, and you are listening to Rockin' Radio. For timeline clarity, today is October 21st, 2008, so do not be confused by events mentioned on this program. I'm going to start off with my uh, spot, so hang on. Please take the time to check out my websites, revelations.com, where you can sign up for my weekly revelations. When you do, you'll receive my latest ebook, 10 Most Asked Questions About Raw Foods. Find out about my teleclasses or my books, Revolutionize Your Life in 30 Days, a self-empowering playbook, and Smoothies and Smoothies for Life. And also books I recommend from Amazon and more. To find my podcast, including this one, you can go to revel.com. That's with two V's and two L's. Cafepress.com slash revelations. Again, two V's and two L's. You'll find some very perky t-shirts, caps, and bags. Follow me on Twitter slash rockinradio. I'm twitter.com slash rockinradio. My guest today is, well, normally I'd introduce my guest by some adjectives, but anything I say will limit who he is. So I'm going to introduce him as my teacher, my Sifu, and my friend, and tell you if it wasn't for this man, I'd likely not be here doing what I'm doing today. I'd like to welcome Rokanan McGregor. Hi, Rebel. Hi. Welcome. So, Rokanan, let's get a little look at your background. You've pretty much taught me almost everything I know. We've been together for at least 23 years in January. That's a long time. What kind of child were you? Were you... um, did you just eat anything you liked? I mean, were you very active as a child? Well, I was very active as a child. I played all the time. Uh, outside, you know, climbing, wrestling, that sort of thing. But then uh, when we got to junior high school, middle school, high school, this sort of thing, and they started the organized so-called physical education, then, no, I, I, I hated all of that. I continued to be active outside of school, but physical education totally turned me off. Uh, because they took all the fun out of it. They took all the play out of it. Uh, Food-wise, my father was uh, very much uh, aware of the the then standard diet. You know, you wanted to have, uh, it was important for him to have flesh, meat at every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was a, um, a mark of pride for him to have that amount, have enough money to do that. He came from a very poor family. And there was always vegetables, but of course, the idea then was canned vegetables were so popular. Uh, so we had, we'd have a raw salad, which would be uh, lettuce, tomato, and celery, and carrots. And then uh, we'd have, you know, canned corn or something like that, or peas or canned spinach, which has got to be one of the worst tasting things in the world. So you grew up about the same time I did. Absolutely. And then uh, I would say that the, the good thing about it was we didn't, uh, desserts weren't big in our family. I mean, you know, you, you had a dessert now and then, and you didn't, it wasn't going out every day and getting candy bars or any of that sort of thing. Right. And we didn't have a lot of soda in our lives at that time either. No, that was something that was special. I mean, we'd go out and get a soda or something, but it wasn't like that was a daily thing. Yeah. Like nowadays, the kids on the way to school pick up a soda and some junk food on the way to school. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to have their breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so in my family, it was pretty much, you know, the, the three squares was the idea. Uh-huh. And uh, it wasn't until I got a little older that, you know, we, we never ate out a whole lot, but we started eating out a little bit more and that sort of thing. And uh, when I was out as a teenager, of course, you know, we'd go to someplace like a Taco Bell or something as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it was that wasn't a, a regular occurrence. Right. Probably. It sounds very similar to what we did. So you did three tours in Nam. Right. And when you came back... 
what happened? Something changed in your lifestyle to help you or bring you to where you are now. You've been a natural health practitioner for... Uh, 34 years in January. Okay. Do you want to give us a rundown real quick about how that came about? Sure. Uh, I did the three tours back to back. And so uh, I I would take a 30-day leave in between each year. But uh, so mostly for three years, I was in Vietnam in the Marine Corps. And I was in the combat arm, of course. I was in the infantry. And we were in a special unit, combined action forces. So we were right living with the people and in a very small unit uh, amongst uh, several thousand villagers. And our job was to help the villagers protect them and so on and so forth. What happened was is that I had sort of the usual malaria, uh, dysentery several times in the first year, hospitalized a couple of times for it. Uh, some several fevers of unknown origin. So I, it pretty much the first year ran me down. Uh, at the same time, I was learning how to live there. So the second and third tours, I didn't have as, as much physical debilitation other than the debilitation of 24-7, you're on the constant alert and you always have to be aware. I didn't realize, of course, at the time how much that had debilitated me because everyone else was pretty much in the same condition. And, uh, matter of fact, I didn't plan to come home even after the third tour, but they offered me an early discharge because they were starting to wind things down a little bit, especially in our, our type of units. And so they gave me an opportunity to, to get an, several months early out. So rather you, than, it was going to be like four years, right? It, it would have been a, a fourth tour, yeah, and, or part of a fourth tour, and they didn't really want to do that either. So they just... Rather than try and take somebody home from Vietnam that had been over there for so long, they just would give you, offer you an early discharge. So I took that. And what I found was when I got out, I had the time to really feel how bad I felt. I just wasn't feeling well. And uh, they, of course, had passed me out on my physical uh, to get out of the Marine Corps. And they said, oh, well, we can, we can either give you more tests or we can discharge you. And I thought, I'll take the discharge. <laughs> And uh, so what happened was when I was out, it was just, uh, you know, lots of nausea, recurring fevers, um, just a, a general rundown kind of a feeling that wasn't changing. What do you attribute that to, or, or do you? Well, all I can tell you is that in the years since then, all the men that were in my unit are all dead, and they've been dead for a long time. Um of course, we were in areas where Agent Orange had been used. I'm not saying that's what it is. I don't know. Uh, I do know that for myself, the I was getting worse after I got out. Headaches that were just blinding. I guess what they would call migraines now. Um, just a, a lack of energy, needing to do things like uh, thinking I needed caffeine to just get going and that sort of thing. And I'd never really done that before. And I'm thinking, okay, I should be getting stronger, and I'm not. One of the things I realized was that I was I certainly had lots of food. In Vietnam, there, we didn't get lots of food. It was just one of those things where we, you'd sometimes go two or three or four days without adequate food, sometimes more than that. On my 19th birthday, I hadn't eaten anything for four days. And so one of the promises I made to myself was never to go hungry again. So I took that with a vengeance when I got back. I ate everything and never left anything, never left a glass of water on the table if I ate out, um, never left ice in a glass, always ate it all. 
So part of it was I realized that I was eating myself sick. Mm-hmm. And um, the, part of the, the difficulty was, of course, is that I didn't know anything about it. I, I, I was eating what was presented as the best food on the planet. Mm-hmm. Plenty of steaks, lots of meat, plenty of eggs, uh, all the supposed good things. And one day I just woke up and I said, I just can't go on like this. I, I have to make a change. I'd already found just a, a couple of months before a very interesting uh, s- system of natural healing, which I'd never even heard of natural healing. I had no idea what natural healing was. I didn't even know what a chiropractor was. And it was called the Touch for Health Foundation. At first, I thought it was total hoo-hoo magic stuff. And then as I got to know some people that did it, it started making sense. And I met the founder of the system, Dr. John Thee. I went through their training and I was absolutely amazed at how differently I felt and what I could do to help other people. But I was still eating terribly, but not knowing I was really eating terribly. And so it was just gradual from there that it led me to uh, more and more research into natural healing, the old nature cure doctors and the, all, all of the vegetarian possibilities and so on and so forth. And back in those days, vegetarian, the word by itself, meant vegetarian. You ate food that was filled with aliveness. It didn't include uh, dairy. You would call it being a lacto-vegetarian. That meant you had dairy products and vegetarian food, which would be seeds, nuts, grains, uh, vegetables, and fruits, and sprouted foods, of course. And then, of course, it was the lacto-ovo vegetarians. And, of course, what I wondered was, couldn't we also then say, as I was right at that moment, that I was a bovine porcine lacto-ovo vegetarian? (laughs) That meant I ate cows and pigs and chickens. Couldn't we say that? And I started realizing the absurdity of these kinds of distinctions. You know, if you're going to be a vegetarian, it's got to be filled with aliveness. So that's what gradually got me to doing this work. I explored it. And, of course, I was terribly resistant. I mean, I thought a salad was a, a onion ring on a hamburger. I thought I'd really, you know, stepped out and was taking a health food leap if I did something like that. So it was huge for me. I actually hear that a lot. Well, I put uh, lettuce and tomato on my on my burger. Absolutely. You know, I'm not, so what's that make you, one-tenth vegetarian? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. So uh, ju- let's just take one quick step back here. How many people are in a unit? How many men or women? Uh, well, in the Combined Action Forces, we had 14 American Marines and a, one Navy corpsman uh, okay. in, in, a, in a Combined Action Platoon. So all of them are dead except you? All of those men are dead except me, yes, exactly. And, I mean, they've the last one died, oh, it must be now, 12 12 or 13 years ago. Okay, but as we saw, we talked about off the air is that not all of them died from illness. Many, you know, there's accidents and various other... A- absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, did you notice when you were in Vietnam, though, that, or after you got out, about that it was a slow deterioration? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just like automatic, all of a sudden you're feeling good and then you feel bad. Was there like a, a deterioration, and then when you got out, you started realizing how much you had deteriorated? No, it was actually, when I first got out, I got a sense that, you know, there was a deep sense of exhaustion, of course, after that many years in a combat situation. You're not fighting all the time, but you're always, you're walking the razor's edge. So what happened was, when I got out, I wasn't feeling good with the fevers and the headaches and things, but I noticed they started getting even worse, which you think would be the opposite. 
And of course, I didn't have the understanding in those days to even imagine that the supposedly good food I was eating might have been a contributing factor to making me feel even worse and debilitating me even further. I had no idea yeah. at that time. Yeah, one would have thought that being in Vietnam and not eating mm-hmm. or eating very little or eating sea rations mm-hmm. would have been really the thing. But then you come out and you feel even worse eating what's supposedly good for you. Absolutely. And and actually, I was fortunate when I was in Vietnam because I actually had an opportunity to train with a, a, a Vietnamese doctor. Uh, just helping in in the village. I liked him as a great old man, and he did acupuncture and all sorts of things, which I thought was pretty crazy, except I had a pinched nerve in my arm, and I was going to go into the rear. He worked on me twice, and my arm was fine. Mm-hmm. So um, being exposed to him, I, I actually learned things I didn't know that I was learning. For example, I noticed that the villagers themselves, who were incredibly hardy, incredibly strong for their size, had in tremendous endurance to, that what were they eating? Mostly rice, a few vegetables. There were, very rarely would there be some fruit, but there would be some fruit, not much. And and that was about it. There would be occasionally a little bit of fish, but they had fish. I mean, it would be like a few little pieces per person. I mean, little, I mean, less than a forkful. Wow. And um, I didn't put that together. I saw it, but I didn't really realized that that had some significance to what they were doing. And also, they all got a tremendous amount of daily physical activity and vigorous at that. And so I didn't get at the time how significant movement and food, proper food, was. It wasn't until I got out and I started doing what should have been and was thought to be the best, and I kept feeling worse. It just wasn't working for me. So after you got out, what happened? Where did you go? Well, it was interesting. When I got out, you know, to go from three tours in Nam, I was discharged actually in a period of four days. And so I was suddenly, from Vietnam, I was on the streets in Oceanside. And so I went to Arizona, where my family was living at the time. And I was grateful to be out. I was more grateful to be out of the Marine Corps, actually, than I was to be out of Vietnam. The Marine Corps was really not my cup of tea. Uh, I was a good Marine as far as the bush went, but I wasn't a spitshine kind of a guy. <laughs> you and still aren't. <laughs> thank goodness they had they no longer had the, the regulation about uh, uh, silent insolence, because if they had, I'd have been in the brig for most of my tours. But anyway, when I got out, I went to Arizona, and I wasn't fitting in well coming back to the United States. When you're in Vietnam, you always call it the world. But when I got back to the world, there, there was a, a level of superficiality that I just didn't find pleasing. Many people were against veterans, and we weren't supposed to talk about it. And I'm a storyteller, so I tell my story. It's, it was part of my healing, actually. And most people didn't want to heal it and hear it, and they wanted to, they called me baby killer. And I never killed a baby. Um, I never saw a baby killed, sort of a thing. So, I mean, I was fighting Viet Cong or North Vietnamese Army regulars. I mean, that's who we were killing. And as they were trying to kill us, it was a war. But anyway, it was, a, it was an unusual setting for me to find myself in. People who had been friends that didn't want to talk to me because I'd served. So, uh, that was very hard for me. I went out and built myself a lean-to at Wolf Creek, uh, Arizona. I just took fallen t- uh, logs and made a lean-to, and lived there for six months. In the process, I, I had a dog, 
in the process of that, I would sometimes be eating because I had no next to no money, uh, nothing but baked potatoes. I'd go in and buy a 10-pound bag of potatoes each week, and that's what I would eat during the week and live out in, in the mountains. I'd walk the mountains with my dog. Uh, I did a lot of just like sobbing, crying. It was just a lot of that sort of thing. And, you know, the idea that men don't cry, maybe most don't. I did. And there was a lot of grief that was coming up. I'd lost a lot of guys that I knew while I was in Vietnam that were close friends. And so it was just sort of that and then the shock of coming home and not being welcomed, feeling very isolated. And the only, the safe place to me felt like the lean-to. And I would go down and break the ice on the creek in Wolf Creek and sit with all my clothes on in that ice-cold water and just breathing to just try and make it through the day sometimes. And I, I might spend an hour in that and then get out and move until I'd warmed up and then do it again. So not knowing it, I was already starting a cold therapy treatments on myself, not knowing it would be good for me. But it was one of the things that helped me get through the first few months that I got out. So a lot of Vietnam vets and even other uh, vets from other wars haven't done that. Right. And they've suppressed a lot of the stuff that they went through, mm-hmm. which has gotten them on the streets as homeless, mm-hmm. made them nuts, and, and everything else. And what you did kind of brought you to – well, obviously, it brought you to where you are now. Well, it's interesting, too, because as we're talking about it, see, what happened for the first few months, I was on my own mostly, out in the mountains, and eating a lot of potatoes. I'll tell you, I ate lots of potatoes. And it was when I came back in – and I started, you know, getting a job here, a job there for a while. I wasn't good at keeping a job because I didn't like the way they treated me. And I decided when I was in the Marine Corps, never again was someone going to treat me without respect and and think I had no choice about it. In the Marine Corps, it, there's not a lot of choices. So it wasn't until I got back doing that that I started eating the standard American diet. And that's when I actually started feeling even worse. But again, I didn't realize. I didn't put that together. I was making some money, I was living inside a house, all the things that you'd think would be better for you, you know, given how I was raised. So you felt better eating just potatoes? Oh, oh absolutely. And walking the hills? I, I wasn't having the fevers. I didn't um, feel any of the, the upset in the digestive system. The scarring that had happened to my esophagus wasn't bothering me. I, I, I was actually feeling better mm-hmm. than I even had in Vietnam. It wasn't until after I'd spent a few months there in the mountains, and then I thought, okay, you got to get yourself together and, and live the way you're supposed to. Yeah. And that's what started killing me again. Okay. And now you went to um, Orcas Island, Washington. Right. That was for the Polarity Health Institute. What caused you to go there? Well, it was interesting. I had been doing the Touch for Health uh teaching the classes. I was also working with people individually, and I had a couple of phenomenal healings that just blew my mind. I mean, I, the, the people told me it was happening. I said, I don't know. Look, I'll, here, here's what I know to do. I'll do it. And we got some incredible results. But I knew that it, this was only the tip of the iceberg. And in those days, it was hard to get additional information. There, there just wasn't that much around that was easily accessible. No internet. Uh, it was, it, there wasn't much of it that had surfaced at that mm-hmm. point. But a friend of mine that was also a Touch for Health instructor said, hey, I got this brochure, and these people are putting on this program for two days down at the yoga center. And I thought, well, I don't know. But then he told me what it was. It was polarity therapy. 
And what happened for me is a couple months before, a friend of mine who was a chiropractic student had given these, these books by Dr. Randolph Stone, the founder of Polarity Therapy. And as I was reading them, it was the most profound information I'd ever read, so profound I couldn't make sense of most of it. I ended up reading the books five times, underlining, extracting what I'd underlined, reading that. And I started to make gradual sense of it. And now here was an opportunity to go and take a two-day introduction to this polarity therapy. And I thought, okay, I have to do this. And it was fairly inexpensive at the time, which was still more than money than I usually had, but I, I did it. And it was absolutely eye-opening. The, the, the quality of their body therapy was uh, amazing, their food understanding, uh, their movement understanding, so on and so forth. It was really incredible. So when I, I took that, they said, well, you need to come up to, it was at the time at Mount Shasta, and do an intro there where you're really immersed in it. I did that. I took the bus up. Never, ever take the bus from California to Mount Shasta. You stop in every little town. Anyway, I got up there, and I almost threw up when I got to the place because of the intense smell of the wheatgrass. Oh, that's understandable. And for in my, unbeknownst to me, my current toxic condition at that time, just the smell of wheatgrass juice would practically threw me into a healing crisis, or as I prefer to call it now, a healing process. So we got there, and they, they did their first introduction. There was about 20 of us that were there. There was about 35 students at the time. They were in their fifth or sixth week of training. And we got to sit in on the classes, get worked on with their, their form of body-mind therapy. And uh, in the mornings, you'd start off with a liver flush, which was the oil and, and garlic and ginger and orange juice. And then you'd follow it with purifying tea and that sort of thing. Well, all each everything I tasted tasted terrible to me. I hated it. It was just disgusting. I thought, how can anybody do this? How am I going to live for two days up here, much less come up here for seventeen weeks? I just, I mean, how could I do it? How 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 could I survive it? I thought you, you die eating this kind of stuff. This is rabbit food. They'd have these huge feasts laid out. That looked to me like something from a concentration camp. I mean, because it, there wasn't anything that I ate. Where was the meat? Because if there wasn't meat, there wasn't food. That's, I was still in that framework. That was my paradigm. But the sessions I received and the, the energetic diagnosis I got from a fifth-week student without ever asking me a question, just looking at my, my body, my structure, and the energy of it, she told me things about myself that I didn't know anybody knew except me. And I thought, if a, a young woman can do this after only five weeks in this work, I have to do this. And then, of course, I had sessions that were just amazing where they were working on me, doing deep work, light work, stimulating work as needed, according to my energy at the time. It was so amazing. I spent the entire ride back down, which is, I think, about 13 hours, going in and out of sleep just trying to figure out how can I do it. One part of me saying, you can't survive that. The other side saying, you can't survive if you don't do it. You can't go on without doing this. You've got to do this. And so it was a lot of money because of the length of time and you live there and the food and the training. It was every day. It was seven days a week. So I said, I've got to. And so that's what I did. I managed to get the money up 
and borrowed it and so on and so forth, begged, borrowed. I was ready to steal it if I had to. I knew I had to go. So I did went and did that 17-week training, and I was a hard nut to crack. I was great. I did the sessions every day. You had to work on people every day and be worked on every day. You had to take every all the classes, and if you broke a guideline, you'd get kicked out. Of course, I broke many guidelines without letting them know that until two days before graduation, and I got somebody turned me in, this fink. Yeah, I got finked. <laughs> and it was wonderful because it's exactly what I needed because I had everything I needed from polarity therapy, except I had no intention when I left there of being a vegetarian. I was going to do the mind-body therapy, the movement, all their healing practices with hydrotherapy and heliotherapy. The energetic understanding made so much sense to me. I understood my life and everything I'd done, my relationships and everything else with so much more clarity. But I couldn't figure out how in the world I would ever do the vegetarianism or enjoy it. And I knew if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. So mm-hmm. the, the bottom line was, two days before graduation, I got turned in for breaking the guidelines. They put me in the center of a circle with 15 of the, the, the main instructors and the founder of the school. And basically, it, it, it was a little bit like, I, I imagine, at a very low level, being indoctrinated at the, or, or dis, you know, interrogated uh, by the enemy. Because they were ready, about half of them were ready to kick me out right now. And so, but I don't tend to uh, break down under situations like that. I tend to rise to the occasion. And what I got right away was I was so happy that I got turned in. They brought the guy forward that had turned me in. He said what he knew that the guidelines I'd broken. I told him a few more guidelines I'd broken. But what I told him most importantly was that I, at this moment, got it. And so it was about four hours of this grilling interrogation. I was waiting for the rubber hoses. And they finally, they got that I got it. And for the next two days, I went around making amends with every person that I had been mean to, um, you know, made fun of because they, because they could do what I could not do, basically, right? And of course, I had thought I was just being reasonable and a rational person and so on and so forth. But I hadn't been. I had been protecting a belief system I had. And then what was incredibly amazing to me was that so much of this food now tasted good to me. I, I, I was like, I, was, I would put the same food in my mouth that had tasted terrible for 17 weeks, and it tasted totally different to me. And people I hadn't liked, I suddenly liked, and I realized, oh my God, it's all about me. You know, uh, the filters I was looking through, the perceptual filters, were, had totally distorted my view. And so... That was my beginning. Of course, I left there knowing everything I needed to know except the food because I hadn't paid any attention during that time, hardly. Oh, okay. And so it was, it was several years then of my investigation to get to the food and really be able to integrate that. And I have to tell you, Rebel, I would not be doing the work I was doing today if I hadn't shifted the food because when you shift your food paradigm, Everything else shifts because you're not doing what 99.9% of the people are doing on the planet. The body therapy, the mind therapy, the, the movement, and everything else is, is important, and it's absolutely essential. But you've got to have the food with it, too, because it's lifestyle. I teach this. I've been teaching it for 34 years. Most people won't do it, and I understand the challenge, but it's all about lifestyle. If you don't change your lifestyle, you're just doing bits and pieces then you're, you're, it's like islands amidst a tumultuous ocean. You can be okay on the island, but 
God help you if you step one foot into the ocean. It'll just <clears throat> suck you right away. Well, that, that reminds me of there was a, a marathoner named Jim Fix who thought as long as he ran – Mm-hmm. As long as he moved, he could eat anything he wanted. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is he had an addiction to chocolate bars. Mm. And I don't mean raw chocolate. I'm talking like the regular chocolate bars. And mm-hmm. I, I believe he died at 43 mm-hmm. of a heart attack. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a whole a whole thing. It's a whole system, right? Right. And, and unfortunately, you know what's happened now? There's, there's all these people that, that call themselves vegans. I thought that they meant they were from some other planet. I wasn't sure about that. And I, I see them in there, a lot of them, uh, they seem to be vegan Nazis. They, they seem to have this edge of like, if you're not vegan and, and they have all these things, I'm not that kind of vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian who wears black leather jackets and I have cowboy chaps and I have leather holsters and so on and so forth. I, I've never really had a cow that was a friend of mine. I, I don't care if people eat meat. That's not my thing. I changed because when I changed, I felt so much better. I, I don't have recurring uh, malarial attacks. Now, I don't have migraines. I, I don't have headaches. I haven't taken so much as an aspirin since I was discharged from the Marine Corps, which was 1970. I haven't seen a medical doctor since 1970. At first, the first few years, it, I was just suffering But since I got in this work and and began this work in 1975, I haven't needed anything like that. I've been my own doctor when it was needed. That was including uh, a couple of motorcycle wrecks, uh, severe injury in the martial arts for uh, for the knee, where a friend of mine who was a surgeon said, look, you're just never going to walk again if you don't have your knee operated on. And as you know, um, after that, I mean, I ran, ran mountains and did everything else. It took me a couple of years to get the full healing, but I did it without the surgery. And so all of it goes together. And when, when I, 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 a lot of the vegans I talk to, they don't do much movement. I'm not saying none of them do. I know there are some vegan athletes and I salute them. I'm talking about the people that are sitting there saying they're vegan while they're drinking a diet Coca-Cola mm-hmm. because there's no animal product in it. They say they're vegan. They may be vegan. That might count for vegan. But as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't count for vegetarian. Vegetarian comes from vegetas, which means basically filled with life or filled with vitality. If you're eating foods that aren't filled with vitality, as far as I'm concerned, you're not a vegetarian. Well, many of us call them junk food vegetarians now. Right. And what I hate, though, is, and, now, and there's also like California vegetarians. Oh, geez, I yeah. Think they, they're fish supposed, and, how much fish and chicken do you eat? Yeah, exactly. And I'm a native-born Californian. And I don't eat chicken and fish. I am what I call a true vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I didn't start that way. I started off as a lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-lacto-
Yet, will you get changes? Of course. Some of them you can even sustain. But many of these things, people do it in such a way they're not sustainable. And if you don't sustain it, you lose the gains you made. So it's like people that go and get rolfing. They get their 10 integrative sessions. They feel better. They look better. They move better. But the bottom line is, even at the, at the level of the physicality, if they, don't, if they keep doing what they did to get themselves the way they were before, they'll get themselves that way again. And so lifestyle again. And so in the lifestyle, there are what I call you know, seven basic, primal, essential requirements. If you don't do those things, to the degree you don't, you don't have as good a life. To the degree that you do them all or do them all well and on a regular basis, you have a better life. And what would those seven be? Ah, that, that can be several more days, weeks, months to describe them all. But in a nutshell, you've you got touch. You have to be touched. And, and I'm not talking in the sexual way or in a disciplinary way. I'm talking about in a healing way. A, a, a regular session of skin-to-skin touch is so essential. If it's just massage, that's perfectly fine. If you can find good body therapists who come from an understanding and can work with the structural, the emotional, and so on and so forth through the body, that's the ideal. So after touch, you've got movement. Movement and breath, actually. They go right together, of course. Movement and breath, daily, consistent, vigorous movement. They get your heart going, gets your joints moving, gets your whole body invigorated, not exhausted. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about exercise as it's usually done. It's what I call primal body conditioning. So that, that would be two and three, the breath and the movement. Then, of course, food and adequate rest. Those are the first five that are absolutely essential. And then the final two would be the clear and effective communication and intimate relating. And I don't mean just intimacy with one person. I'm talking about the intimate being into me see, intimacy, into me see, so that you actually have intimate relationships with a number of people that you can really share your life with, where you don't have to be guarded. All these things I consider to be essential to having a healthy lifestyle or what I call a self-healing lifestyle. Rokanan, we are coming up on 30 minutes. I'd love to have you talk with us for another half hour if you've got the time. If not, we can do it another time. I'm on a roll right now. I can talk for the next two or three days. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've got a long history with Rokanan. I met him back in 86 and um, totally changed my life. And many of you don't know my story, and many of you don't. But uh, I'm going to let him continue telling his story. Rokanda, you turned me on to raw food, what, maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago, was it? Was it that long? I think it was 11 years ago. 11 years. Actually, ago, yeah. Okay. And we all, like there were six of us, I think, who all went raw. Mm-hmm. We went totally 100%. And Let me clarify that. Okay. We didn't just go raw. We went raw with the the whole thing. I mean, we we it wasn't gourmet raw. It wasn't uh, eating two pounds of cashews with almond milk chasers. No. We were eating a huge amount of sprouted foods of all sort, whether it was sprouted grains, not just alfalfa sprouts. Um, we were do, we were soaking the nuts. We we did it the the the. What I would consider a real raw way, because when mm-hmm. you start doing all the gourmet raw, uh, trying to, you know, I mean, you're, you're getting 
incredibly high fat, uh, lots of times excess protein, and so on. So, so that's not what we did. Right. We did really a health builder's way of raw food. Right. And we also is eliminated a lot of excess weight. Yes, we did. Uh, every single one of us. Yes, we did. And some of us got a little nervous because some of us started out fairly thin as it was. Mm-hmm. And so many of us started going back to eating. We ate better, but we were all still vegetarians. We've mm-hmm. all, I mean, I've been vegetarian since 86. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've got somebody who's been with you for 30 years, is it now? Who? Wana? Uh, 30, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's been with you for 30, 30 years. years. Yeah, she's 81 now. 84. 84. Okay, I'm thinking about my client who's 81. <laughs> and... Uh, what what changed? Because none of us are a hundred percent raw, mm-hmm. but how how did that evolve? Where where did you go with that? Are, are you asking me why I'm not a hundred percent raw? I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. There's a few things for me. After I did, I, first of all, it was an incredible experience. I really enjoyed it. It wasn't the only time I'd done things like that. I had actually done uh, three months of being a sproutarian. I ate nothing but sprouted food. If it wasn't sprouted, it didn't go in my mouth. I, I didn't eat fruit. I, I just did sprouted food. No, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. And it was when I was running marathons. And uh, that was an incredible experience. It wasn't sustainable. I did about six months once as a fruitarian, only fruit. Because I'm an experimenter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scientist within my, my, my body, mind is a laboratory for me. Now, when, when you say fruit, do you mean that there were fruity vegetables too, like tomatoes, no. because they have seeds? So you just want no, real I, fruit from tree fruit? Well, oh, and watermelons and cantaloupe okay. and honeydew and crenshaws. But I didn't have things like, uh, a lot of people, when they say they're fruitarians, they also have uh, avocado. Yeah, anything with a seed in it, and, basically. Right. And and while that, that could be fine, and I, I'm sure that could be a legitimate way of doing it, Back in those days, it was the very early days of my explorations into natural healing, I did not consider any of that fruit. Mm. I, I, had, I didn't have that paradigm at all, you know, or that definition of fruit. So, uh, yeah, I didn't do that. But the, so what has happened, though, through the years is I've done these extremes, fruitarian, sproutarian, um, the, the, the brown rice uh, diet. I did all sorts of things, experimenting with things, and how did I feel? macrobiotics, I usually felt pretty darn good on all of them. Mm-hmm. And so when I did the, uh, the all raw, the time you're talking about, it was incredible, had lots of, of energy and so on and so forth. For me, it wasn't an, it wasn't an adequate program. It wasn't, I don't mean it wasn't nutritionally adequate. I mean that within a sustainable <clears throat> lifestyle, it was not enough for me. I found it, for myself, too time-consuming, in part. Another thing was, I just still enjoy, and, I, and I, for you raw foods vegetarians out there, I'm okay with it if I still have addictions I haven't gotten over that I like cooked food. I have no problem with that. But I also noticed that man, when he first found fire and figured out to heat himself up, keep the animals off, and make foods more edible and digestible to him, that he did it, and he's never stopped. And so I look at that, and I 
I'm totally behind 100% a lot of raw food in anybody's food program. Mm -hmm. But for every single individual, the key word is individual. And so you've got to do what makes your heart sing. And I mean that at a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual level. So eating a lot of cooked food, just cooked food, doesn't work for me either. But having a, a blend, I found, is incredibly sustainable, effortless for me to do, and I have as much or more vitality than I did when I was all raw, and much easier to sustain. So for me, like any meal to be good has to be delicious and nutritious. And also, I want to get more energy out of eating the food than how much energy I had to put into making the food. I have all sorts of creative things I do in my life. I don't want to spend most of my waking day, as primitive man did, trying to get his food in his mouth, getting mm-hmm. food and getting it in his mouth. That's not what I want to do. Well, that was part of their exercise and their movement was, was consistently going after animals or being chased by them. Hunting and gathering. Sure. Some of the first separation of, of labor, division of labor, was the men would go out hunting the animals, generally speaking, and the women would be gathering the roots and berries and the children and, you know, whatever else they could get. Because basically, anything they could get to eat, they ate. Right? So I'm not in that situation. I don't have to do it that way. Um, I don't even care whether primitive man eating meat was the way to go. I'm not primitive man. I don't run around all day long. I'm not being chased by any predators. Man has made himself the greatest predator on the planet. We kill everything, including each other. And so the bottom line is, I look at my life as an evolutionary lifestyle. And I salute anybody that does all raw and is healthy. But if you're all raw and you're not healthy, obviously something isn't working. It may not be the raw food. It may be something else. Sure. Um, And also, I don't want to make my life about food. I make my life about living life intently, joyfully. And so I eat lots of raw food. I eat more raw food in the summer and the spring. I eat more cooked food in the fall and the winter. Now, in California, of course, our falls and winters aren't much. (laughs) But in the colder time, I find I like warmer foods. Now, I also have learned a lot of ways to heat foods at low temperature or don't heat them much. And I always, always include raw and sprouted foods with cooked foods. So if I make a soup, I turn on the water, bring it to a boil, it's done. I don't boil the, the, the soup after, after it reaches its initial boil. And then when I serve it, I add a lot of raw vegetable to it. So I've got a few things, the harder things like maybe yam or a potato that's cooked, and then the carrots and celery and many other things, burdock root, I just put in raw. Mm-hmm. And, so you're still getting the raw enzymes and all oh, the nutrients and everything that's still... I'll give you an example. Before I came this morning, I had my breakfast. For breakfast, I had a... It cooked in my, my grain cooker. I had rye. So I had some rye with some sprouted raw kamut sprouts, and then I had some... Japanese persimmon and cantaloupe. Mm-hmm. I put some uh, sprouted sunflower seeds on that. And I had that with a mixture of apple and ginger juice mixed with purifying tea. Wow. So I had all sorts of incredibly delicious flavors, a wide variety of textures. And all these things are important to food. Mm-hmm. Textures 
the, the amount of vitality in the food, the way it was prepared, how it's served, how it's consumed, the color of the foods, the scent of the food, how the flavors combine. All of this goes together to create a wholesome diet. And so this morning when I was finished, how do I feel? I feel absolutely satisfied because that's one of my, my keys. Eat the satisfaction, not fullness. Mm-hmm. Unless fullness and satisfaction occur at the same time. Most people eat to being stuffed. And then they don't eat again until they're hungry maybe, but then they stuff again. Yeah. The, for me, I found from my personal lifestyle, I eat generally three or four meals a day with a couple of snacks in the same way that I do movement snacks through the day. I get up and do my, my primal body conditioning or what I call my, my um, you know, there's walkabouts in Australia that the Aborigines do. I do playabouts. I get up in the morning and go out and play for an hour or so. But then during the day, I take movement snacks because if I don't move except my primal movement in the morning, I don't feel as well. So if I take a few two to five or ten minute breaks during the day and do some simple body weight conditioning, I feel tremendous and my energy is better all through the day and I sleep better that night too. I know one thing. You're my age. Actually, you're... Uh, I'll be 59 in a couple of weeks. Okay. Ten days. So you're a few months younger than I am. Uh Uh-huh. And you've got more energy than many two-year-olds. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> I know you've got uh, some female friends who um, you play with, yeah. and it's like a tag team sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes, actually, I'll go out and do my, my nature play with one of my partners, and then the other one will come up to the park, and, and I'll, I'll do the whole thing again, except it'll be something different, but it's right. still you know, getting out, doing the primal body movement. Yeah, and then you'll wear that one out and look for another. <laughs> I, I have been known to do that, yeah, on, on weekends even. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go on and not even charge anymore, and everybody else is pulling their hair out just wishing to God I would stop. <laughs> would he just please stop? Yeah. yeah. And I don't sleep a whole lot either. I usually, I've been sleeping more lately. I've been getting like about six hours. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, most of the time I get four and a half to five hours sleep. With an occasional every few weeks, I'll do maybe 10 hours you know, for a night or two, and then it's back to about four and a half to five hours. Lately, as I say, it's been about six. Now, what you're doing obviously works for you. Absolutely. Um, now, p- people will say that you have to take a break between moving, like, you know, you, mo- you do so much movement, and then you have to take a day or two off. I know you've not done this. Could you tell us a little bit about your, your movement program? Uh, sure. W- what happened was 828 days ago, as of today, I woke up, I was in a beautiful place, I was down at the, uh, a friend's ranch where I have a cabin, and I woke up in the morning there with, my, with two of my very good friends, they weren't up yet, we were in this big, beautiful bunkhouse, beautiful, 200 acres, surrounded by mountains, pristine, it was gorgeous, and I didn't feel good, emotionally, I didn't feel good. And I said, that's not okay. That's, I have zero tolerance for not feeling good. I love to feel good. And I said, okay, so I'm going to get up and move because I know movement is one of the keys to feeling good. So I got up and, you know, I'd been doing regularly for years and years and years since way back in the 70s, uh, yoga. And later on, starting in uh, the mid 80s, I started uh, with Qigong and I did Qigong every single day. But I knew I needed more than Qigong. I just felt like I had to have more, more vigorous movement. So I did that. 
And within a few minutes, my emotions went, let's say they were at, at a 20 and 100 was the top. I was at 150. Mm. And I went, boy, it's that simple. It's so good to remember that. I said, you know, it's good to remember that, but I want to live like this most of the time. And then I thought, why did I put the qualifier most? I want to live like this all the time. And then a voice said, oh, but that's not realistic. And I said, whoever said that, get out. I'm going to make it realistic. So I began a process. I continued on with my movement, and I saw a rock along the, the road, the dirt road there, a big one. I picked up that rock, and I threw it, and it rolled a little bit. And I said, oh, that's fun. So I chased after it, and I picked it up and threw it again. I saw that is even more fun. So I turned around and threw it over my head, and that was great. Kept on doing it. Long and the short of it was, I did it for about an hour and a half, and my two friends woke up, and they said, what are you doing? I told them, they said, oh, wake us up the next time. I want to do it with you. I said, let's keep doing it. So I did another hour and a half, and that began a process where I, and I started exploring this thing, and I started, I got, got in touch with primal. Primal means essential. It's the essence of the thing. I said, what's one of, as a human animal, what's one of the essential things? It's movement. And then I read a great book called Play As If Your Life Depends On It, and it was absolutely mirroring to me what I had been coming up with for several months by this point. And in it, he's talking about the need for daily vigorous movement, regardless of what they say about days off. Well, I already had about 110 days, I think, at the time when I did that, of every single day moving. And I kept feeling better and better. Matter of fact, I didn't get sore anymore. You know, someone says, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't, I couldn't sit down on the toilet. Mm-hmm. My, my hamstrings hurt so Been there, bad. done that. Yeah. And what I found was I rarely got that unless I added some really unusual move or did a personal best of some sort. And even then it would just be a, a tenth of what it had been before. And all sorts of other things started changing in my life. My eating started changing, what I wanted to eat, what tasted good to me. Food that I had previously thought was my health food was no longer on, on, my, on my diet. And, but it was all effortless, and this was one of my keys. i got to make it effortless. Why? Not basically, I'm lazy. I don't want to do much. And by the way, all human beings have learned that. It's, it's, it's a part of our biological heritage to conserve energy. Unfortunately, we live in a society, or fortunately, we live in a society where we don't have to do anywhere near the work that we used to, but we're still eating as though we do. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was I started resetting myself through the movement, the breath, the touch, the food, but with a whole different foundation of playfulness. No seriousness, no counting calories, no counting repetitions, no keeping track of what weights we use. As a matter of fact, we have used no barbells or dumbbells at all. We started off with rocks and and limbs and logs and stumps. We went to sledgehammers and kettlebells and sandbags and power ropes and kettlebells and iron clubs and wooden clubs and elastic bands and so on and so forth. And so every single day we're doing something differently. And because we're doing something differently, our body is constantly in its adaptive mode, which is one of our greatest things as human beings, is our ability to adapt to stresses and environmental situations. By doing that, it's brought about incredible changes. The people that joined me in it, and several of them, to the degree that they've gotten the understanding that I teach about it, have they've enhanced their already high levels of health and well-being right, right through the roof. You know most of them. I do. 
And, and you've seen, I mean, how about the one that has, was, she was a competing gymnast and a, a bodybuilder and everything, and now she's in the best shape of her life. Oh, my God, she's amazing looking. At 41. It's just yes. amazing. <clears throat> yeah. We've only got a few minutes left, uh, so I want to talk about, real quick, um, gyms. What do you think about gyms nowadays? I know because you and I used to go to the gym, but sure. we used to go to a bodybuilding gym, not yeah. what, what they have nowadays. Yeah, black iron gym, sure. Um, it, it, I say this, look. If it's between a, a commercial gymnasium and never getting off your couch, get yourself down and go to that gymnasium. If you can get yourself outside and moving, that's the ideal. If you can get away from machines overall, I would do so. Machines, it's, it, they guide you too much. Mm. You're missing all the intrinsic connections and the joy that comes from increasing your ability to move gracefully and powerfully and dynamically. You're missing too many bits and pieces. And so that's why you find so many injuries. You know, it's incredibly rare in primal body conditioning for us to have an injury because we pay so much attention to our bodies and we do what is right in that moment. And of course, we've had tremendous success as far as physique, weight loss, weight distribution, uh, weight gain. I mean, whatever people have needed, they've found that from doing this, it's made a huge difference. And it's not the neurotic exercising just to get the endorphins going. It's the playfulness. A man just wrote me. He's 354 pounds, 62 years old. And he goes, how do you make yourself do that every day? And I wrote him back and I said, I don't make myself do it every day. I have to make myself not do too much because it's so much fun. Same thing with my eating. Same thing with all the other gates. So are you finding, though, that people can only allow themselves so much fun? And that's part of the problem. You know, we've got another weekend's worth of discussion here because what you just hit on was upper limits. Mm-hmm. Most people don't want to admit it. They, they, they say, oh, I don't have any. Everybody has upper limits. And when you approach your upper limit of anything or your lower limit, for that matter, you start to feel anxiety. And generally speaking, when you feel anxious, you do something to not feel anxious. And usually with an upper limit, it's to pull away from it. And so people will start to feel good and then make their excuses of why they stopped doing what made them feel good. And of course, as I know, and you know, if you want to be well, you do the things that make you feel good. And if you want to be in hell, you do the things that don't make you feel good. And most people are so conditioned to not feeling good, it feels familiar and safe. And feeling good is so unusual. It's it's such an incredible phenomenon. And also, many people can't even recognize it, that it's hard for them to sustain themselves at those levels. Absolutely. Rokana, where can people find out about you? Well, the best way to find out about me is to go to rokanan.com because there I've got various blog pages with videos and essays, photographs, uh, more of them will be going up. You can find information about where to get equipment, about food, about beauty, about sessions. This is something that's it's just evolving now. It's been up for, I don't know, just not not even quite a year yet. I'm not putting excessive amount of energy into it because I, I want to make it organic. It's got to be playful. It's got to be fun. It's not for everybody, but it's for everybody who wants to get well, who wants to live great, who wants to be powerful, dynamic, and expand their health span so that it's as long as their lifespan. And so rocanon.com, that's R-O-C-A-N-N-O-N.com, and you find me. And the first thing you see when you come to my, my website is me. A great big smile and picture of me and a bunch of my clients. 
And that's exactly what I want you to bring into the website is joy and happiness, some open-heartedness, open-mindedness. Take what you like and leave the rest. It's all free. There's no cart. Nothing costs a penny on Rocanon.com. Okay. Um, You've also got YouTube videos. Where can they find those? YouTube videos, uh, you can actually find them from my website. If all you want to remember is rocanon.com, or you can go to YouTube and type in Zen Kahuna, Z-E-N-K-A-H-U-N-A, Zen Kahuna, and that will, as one word, and that will take you to my videos. And those videos are all about uh, primal movement and various ways that I do it and so on and so forth. They, They give you ideas on getting yourself out and moving. One quick thing, a woman wrote me from that, a friend of yours, actually, a woman that you knew, and she got her so excited about all that that she got out in the snow and sent me a picture up on a 20-foot snow drift, rolling snowballs with an ice pick, digging into the ice and doing primal movement in the snow in Minnesota. I salute her, and she's crazy, and I love that kind of craziness. And you know what? She has stopped doing that, and so she's going to have to listen to this, and when she hears it, it's going to get her back out again. Absolutely. Come on back out. You know, don't, don't, don't get frozen out there. Come on. Put them energy in there. Good. Way to go, girl. Come on. <laughs> Rokanen, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. This has been phenomenal. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Rebel. I enjoyed it. All right. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Rockin' Radio. Please feel free to go to rockinradio.com. It's R-A-W-K-I-N radio.com to purchase books and DVDs by all of my guests to help keep this program on the air. If you would like to advertise on or sponsor this program, please contact me at spillyourbeans at rockinradio.com. My engineer is Bo Astrup. I'm Revel Revity saying, remember to revel in life and always play with your food. Bye for now.